You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Hopefully everybody had a great weekend. I know I had the opportunity to partake in an annual tradition with my family, and that is the wild game feed. Uh, This year, not as wild as game feeds past, I should say. Uh, This year we ate fish from uh, all the family fishing trips we've been on, uh, walleye, bluegill, bass, whatnot. Uh, We a deer that we've harvested, turkey that we harvested, and then, you know, a whole bunch of cool side dishes that uh, the family, uh, you know, all the other family members uh, made. And we did some more fishing and we did some bonfire and we just, an absolutely gorgeous weekend that uh, uh, revolved around family and family events, which was very cool. Um, I opted to hang out with the fam this morning on an absolutely gorgeous morning instead of uh, go check trail cameras which you know they'll be there next time uh, when I get the opportunity to go again probably in the next couple weeks but uh, that was my weekend hopefully you guys had an awesome weekend as well and uh, I'm telling you today's podcast is going to be another good one and we're going to continue this uh, series with Dr. Mike and uh, I know last time we talked about arrows this time we're going to be talking about trail cameras and trail camera mounts and all this research that he's done um, you know how to change the settings uh, to make your trail camera more efficient and he's going to share some test results that he's uh, done with that but before we get into today's podcast I just want to welcome another partner to the Nine Finger Chronicles and that is Big Horn Outfitters now 
I met Dustin DeCrew at the ATA show this past year and found out uh, that he is uh, one of the owners of Bighorn Outfitters out in Wyoming. And I was kind of thinking, you know, I've never I've never been to, used an outfitter before. Um, and I thought this was a great opportunity for myself to not only did I have a one spot left in my uh, my lineup, I guess, for partners, but I know I know Dustin. I know he's a great guy, and uh, after speaking with him, I know he runs a, a, a pretty awesome operation out there in Wyoming, and uh, some of the uh, hunting options that uh, you know you can get. Uh, out there as far as animals to go out to Wyoming and hunt, especially if you're an Eastern hunter who wants to try something different, um, you know, going out and putting in a lot of time to find the animals uh, is difficult when you're not living in that area. You can do your scouting, you know, digital scouting, you can talk with others, but actually once you get out there, it's a whole different story. And that's why a lot of people use outfitters. Now, uh, Bighorn Outfitters uses elk, moose, mule deer, white-tailed deer, pronghorn, turkey, and prairie dogs is what's listed on their website as far as um, hunting options. And uh, their their website, bighornoutfitters.com, uh, has a lot of information about what they offer. And I'm going to plan on getting Dustin on the podcast to talk a little bit more uh, in detail about their operation. But why I decided to go with Bighorn for the last partnership slot was because my stepdad, Jim, is going to be 60 and uh, this upcoming year. And he is a huge hunter like myself, but he's never left the state of Iowa to hunt, right? He's more of a, it's brown, it's down type of hunter. Um, he likes to hunt. And um, so what I what I did was I called up Dustin and I said, hey, man, I would love to trade a, you know, an advertising slot on my podcast and give a hunt to my stepdad. And the reason I decided I would, I'd like to pass that hunt to my stepdad was because one, uh, it's going to be an experience that he has never in his entire hunting career, uh, had to, uh, experience. And two, um, my, I, I owe him a great deal of thanks because, um, he helps me drag deer out of the woods. He helps me quarter and clean them and pack them. Uh, he lets me use his house for a, uh, a hunting camp throughout the entire year, whether that's for turkey um, and, or deer or shed hunting. Uh, my family is there, and they're always welcome. We make a mess, right? So me and my mom got together along with my stepbrothers and brothers, and um, and we're, we're going to help him get out to Wyoming for this rifle antelope hunt Uh in an upcoming October, uh, probably 2018. But, uh, this weekend we gave him that card and we gave him, uh, the information and he was blown away. Uh, he was so happy that this is something that he's never done before. Um, and I filled him in and he was very grateful and I'm grateful. And we as a family are grateful for what, what he's done for us. But, uh, this is going to be something that, uh, he's never done before. And I know Dustin's going to treat him right and, uh, help him try to get on a antelope out there. And, uh, I know, uh, he's pretty pumped about it. So 
that's why I decided to go with uh, Bighorn Outfitters. And like I said, there's going to be a lot of um, uh, more information about these guys. So if you are interested in potentially taking a Western trip uh, for a Western uh, game species like else moose, mule deer, white-tailed deer, pronghorn, or uh, some of those Merriam turkeys I got running around out there, um, you should definitely give Bighorn Outfitters uh, you know, a call. Uh, call Dustin at 307 307- six two zero zero three nine zero or email him at dustin at bighornoutfitters.com and that's also their website bighornoutfitters.com so just kind of a heads up guys um so i think that's it uh hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast so now let's get into this series we do with dr mike and today we're going to be discussing discussing and i can't even talk right now we're going to be talking about trail cameras all right back on the show with me again it is time for another episode with dr mike dr mike how are we doing today i'm doing fine dan how are you doing i can't complain man uh there's some storms moving through iowa and i know a lot of guys out there uh are happy that it's raining because now their food plots have uh have some rain Mm mm-hmm so, yeah, we've been getting a little here ourselves, so so everything's greening up pretty well right now, growing pretty quickly. Good. I forget. Do you plant food plots or not? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, so I I live in an area where there's a lot of kind of ag crops around me, and um, I think they got some corn and some soybeans planted in some of the adjacent fields, and those those are pretty large, maybe a hundred or or a couple hundred acres. Um, and then I usually plant probably about an acre and a half of plots myself, which um, a lot of times I try to plant some soybeans, which I leave up throughout the rest of the season. And, and then, um, I've always got, a uh, one of the perennial, uh, white tail clover plots that I leave up all year. And then I usually try to supplement it with something else like either winter oats or, um, or some of the brassicas or things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I usually plant those in the fall and let those go through the winter time. Right. Right. Have you had much success with the deer finding them and eating them since you've been doing that? So with everything else, yes, the brassicas were really strange, and I kind of read about the same thing. The first year I planted them, they looked fantastic, but they did not get touched at all. I think maybe after the season was open or after it was over and uh, and, and they kind of had the, the frost on them and there was really nothing left, and I know they sweetened up at that time, they tried them a little bit. Um, so the next year I actually didn't plan any, and um, I, I did, I think, some, uh, some whitetail oats, which worked out pretty well, but... I mean, they get they get swamped pretty heavily as soon as it, it snows here. So I went back to the brassicas the next year, and, and they actually liked them at that point. They started eating them. So, gotcha. you know, I, I've heard that something new they've got to get used to, and without a doubt, I, I saw the exact same thing. It was uh, they just didn't like them at first, but they they will use them if you get them used to it. Right. My problem with brassicas that I planted um, this last year was, one, I think I overseeded, and well, it was just kind of a, a combination of everything. One, I think I overseeded. Two, I think that I did, well, I know I didn't do a soil test. Um, and then three is the, the, the plants that did grow, there mm-hmm. was, it didn't get cold at all this entire winter. Uh, here to the point where you know yeah there was some freezing and some snow but 
it was well past uh, the season and uh, there, you know, there was no use, you know, so maybe they ate the tops of the leaves after it froze, but Mm -hmm. that was, that was, that was about it. But it was well into February when that happened. Right. Yeah. I found at the, at the the end of that one season, they, they actually started digging them up and eating the bulbs a little bit, but it it took them a while. I don't think they knew what they were at first. So uh, hopefully this year it'll be a little bit better. For sure. All right, so here's the deal. We are going to be talking today about trail cameras. Uh, And just like the previous episode about arrows, uh, oh yeah, which is a reminder, um, I'm going to be posting uh, a gigantic, basically, report. And and don't get scared uh, when I say report, because it's a a big report, um, and Mike put in a lot of time and research um, to write about this report and I think any every you know even if you don't read the whole thing you can take something away from it uh, and I'm going to be posting that on uh, the ninefingerchronicles.com blog portion of it and uh, there's just so much cool information uh, on there and even some information that we did not uh, discuss so um, be sure to uh, go back to the website and uh, and follow up with that but today we're going to be talking about trail cameras. We're going to be going into detail about some tests that you've ran. Um, talk, we're going to talk about batteries. And I think, to be honest with you, that's a, just a great place to start because I feel that when it comes to trail cameras and how they function, and especially after talking to the owners of Exodus trail cameras, batteries are probably the number one reason why your trail camera is not performing uh, to its greatest potential. And um, so I think I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you like we did last time. And, uh, but we'll start at batteries. What did, what did you find out? What did you um, like, what kind of research did you do? And uh, just talk about how important batteries are to trail camera functionality. So I guess the first thing that that I did, which I think most people are aware of now, is uh, you, you really have to use lithium batteries, um, just like the the uh, people that you spoke to from um, all the different trail camera companies and and from Exodus. Uh, lithium is without a doubt the only way to go. And in my understanding, without going into a whole lot of detail, and I haven't really researched it that much, but it it looks like they basically hold their uh, their charge or their energy supply until the very end, and then they drop off pretty quickly. But the camera basically has to have a reliable energy supply that's not shifting through uh, the, the entire time of usage that the batteries are in there um, to run to run well. And in a regular like alkaline battery, they start off really well, but then they kind of gradually taper off. And as that happens, you start running into problems with the, with the trail cameras. And instead, with the lithium, they're pretty much at, at full voltage and it stays that way all the way across um the only downside i've seen to that is um when they die you don't get a whole lot of warning so you may actually look at the camera um open it up it may say 95 percent or 90 percent and you may go out a week later and it could be completely gone so um they last a lot longer they're reliable it's the only way for the camera to work but you don't get that warning at the end because they as soon as it starts dropping to about 90 percent or so and you'll get a feel for each camera it's probably getting to be time to replace them because you probably have, you know, maybe a week or two left based on, uh, you know, how much usage you get. 
Now, are th- are there settings on the cameras that you tested? Uh, first off, uh, s- so we kind of have an idea. What cameras did you use, or do you currently own, or have you used in the past? So the the very first camera I got was a one of the uh, Cuddyback cameras, and um, it was the one. It was one of the earlier ones that that held, um, I think it's eight of the AA batteries. Okay. And I, I want to say I probably had that for five or six years. And to be honest with you, it still works fantastic. It's never had a hiccup, takes great pictures, uh, very reliable. I don't get very many blanks, um, and, and that's worked very well. And then from there, um, I think my wife ended up getting me one of the plot watchers, um, which is truly fantastic for, for what it does. Um, some of the other cameras you can set to, to basically have a, I'm trying to think of the, the profile they have, but it, it's basically you could set it so it's, it takes pictures like every either so many seconds or so many uh, minutes or hours through the course of a day. And the, the difference between the plot watcher and a regular camera doing that is that with the regular camera, you have to look at each picture individually. The really nice thing about the plot watcher is you pull it up and it's almost like a video clip. So you can basically just kind of hit play and you can play it either at regular speed or slow speed or faster speeds, or um, it's kind of like a regular video recorder. You can go up to, I think four speeds or something. And it lets you watch an entire day or longer's worth of um, images, um, just like a video. And that makes it very nice because your, your camera doesn't have to load the image or your computer doesn't have to load the images like it would from, um, Again, I think, as far as I know, any of the other camera manufacturers, you have to look at the pictures individually. So, um, so that worked really well for that. Then I got some of the uh, Bushnell uh, trophy cams. Um, had some good luck with those, and then finally, I would say, I think two years ago was the first time I ended up getting one of the wireless trail cameras. And um, and we can get into that, but that's basically changed the way I scout and the way I do everything. So it's, it's, that's really been a, a big change and really a fantastic change. Okay. So now we know what kind of trail cameras you, you have used in the past. Talk to us about when, uh, how long have you started using lithium batteries? How long has it been? So I, I started using lithium batteries in the very beginning. So, um, I, I don't think I've ever used anything else with them. Uh, just based on recommendations when I got it. Um, I started using them in that and I even use them in my feeders and things like that because they just, they, they work and they're not affected at all by temperature changes or, or anything else. So they're, they're very reliable and I've always used them. Okay. Let's see here. Um, so now on to kind of back to the, like the battery, uh, thing and how to maximize your, your batteries, um, because, um, everybody, you know, we've already discussed this in a way you're going to, you're going to spend more money for a lithium battery, but it's going to outperform and outlast uh, a regular old fashioned battery. Right. So absolutely. So it's in the long run, it's worth the time. Now, do you have any, um, tests or data to show how much longer uh, lithium batteries last compared to regular batteries? So I I don't have that because I've never used the regular batteries, but I do have okay. that as far as, you know, how long my lithium batteries have, have lasted. Okay, go into that. 
Okay. So the, um, you know, the first thing I, I, I guess where I have probably the most data is with the wireless cameras. You know, the, the Bushnell Trophy Cam wireless cameras, um, the, the new models that are out now. And I, I have read on a lot of internet sites, some people seem to be getting very poor battery life, and at least they claim to be using lithium batteries and things like that. Um, but I have not experienced that. I actually have four of these cameras right now. And in looking back through them, um, I placed one in, on August 24th of last year, and I didn't pull the batteries until May 8th of this year. So that's 255 days, about eight and a half months, and the batteries were still reading full. Um, I tested them, and I, yeah, I used basically a, a regular battery tester that puts a, a load on the batteries, and um, they tested 60% and they were working absolutely fine the only reason i test the only reason i swapped them out in may was because i basically wanted to go a whole nother year without having to to change the batteries so that was the longest one that i had out um and then i bought a few more cameras during the year and basically i put in batteries every time i got the cameras um i put one set in in mid-november um and i basically took them all out in basically mid-may this year but those went 178 days um, and were breeding full. And when I tested those, those were 80 to 100%. And I got put another camera out the week after that. So it was like the third week in November. And again, they that was 173 days and they read full and were, you know, still running 80 to 100% when I, when I pulled the batteries on that. And as far as the number of pictures, um, I can tell you my cameras go off like nonstop almost all day long. Um, my first camera I put out had, uh, uh, just over 2,100 pictures taken in that time period. The next one had, uh, almost 1,300 and the last one had, uh, looks like 550, uh, taken in that time period. And again, they didn't, there was no hiccup. They didn't use the batteries down. I never had to change them. I basically put them out at the, you know, as soon as I got the cameras and they lasted the entire season. Okay. So... 2,125 pictures on the, on the, the camera that tested 60% battery life. The, let's see here. And that was, it was 255 days. It was out eight and a half months for me. Where was this camera located? First of all, because I will go out two weeks ago. I sent, I set up, uh, uh, some of my trail cameras over top of mineral stations and I'll have 3000 pictures when I go and check them uh, this weekend. Right. Yeah. These, these, I did not put over mineral stations, although I do have one over, over a station right now. These were on um, basically uh, trails and things like that deeper in the woods that I didn't want to go in and contaminate the site. And I really didn't have any idea how long they were going to last. So, you know, I, I didn't want to put them over a feeder or a mineral station right away because you know, I, I had heard some issues with batteries and, you know, I didn't want to just keep having to do that. I wanted to put them in a place where I wanted to get in there once, put the cameras in there and then basically not go back in there unless I was going to go hunting. So that's why I put them more on trails and things. Right. Okay. So, uh, there was no hiccups in any of those batteries that, that you are, uh, in any of those, um, uh, cameras that you put out. Right. Okay. And the important thing to remember, the important thing to remember is all four of these were, were the wireless cameras. So in addition to doing the basic functions of taking, you know, pictures and, and they're, you know, they're all basically black flash, but the, the energy used for that, 
they're also sending all that information to to me at home. Oh, so it's taking okay. quite a, quite a bit more information. Okay, so. I didn't know that. I didn't know that these were yep. okay. So these are all all these cameras that you you purchased are the wireless cameras now, or that we're going to be talking about are the wireless trail cameras that sent um, sent to what an email address or your cell phone. Cell phone. Yep. Cell phone. Okay. Now, um, what kind of settings did you have these cameras on? And, and what I mean by that is the burst count, like the number of pictures it would mm-hmm. send you, uh, the, the delay time between the next set of all that stuff. Right. So, um, so the data that I gave again was all for the wireless, but I can, I can tell you the, the cutty back, the regular trophy cam and the, um, the plot watcher, all basically did the same thing. I, I change the batteries once a year. I check them if I have to be in the, happen to be in the area, but in general, I get a year's use out of them. Um, and I I think honestly that most of this has to do with how the camera is is set up. Uh, you know, when when they get set up by the user initially. So um, one issue that I I have read about and I haven't experienced is if you you know I, I buy some a lot of my batteries from uh, from Amazon. If you read through some of the comments, some people have commented that they think that they either got used batteries or old batteries or, or there was something going on and they've, they've tested them at home and, and there was a problem with it. Um, that was actually originally why I got my, my tester because I didn't want to be in that kind of situation. Right. And, um, you know, I think probably the vast majority, maybe 90%, you know, when you read through the comments are, are you know, pretty favorable and they seem to be new batteries. I haven't had that problem, but if somebody has a really big problem with batteries dying quickly, that would be one thing to check, and it might be worth getting a, a battery chest, uh, tester just to do that. Um, initially, when I got these these cameras, we all have fun with them. I mean, they're they're just unbelievable. So you can set them any way you want to take a ton of pictures. You know, hardly any delay because in, in a lot of the newer cameras, they can. There's probably I think they're ready to shoot in about a second or something like that, or even better in some cases. Um, with many of these, you can do videos. I do use the videos with the, the Cuddyback because that sits over a um, basically a feeder. So I want to get a shot. Sometimes it's hard to get, you know, if the animals are moving around, you may want to get a better view of, of, you know, a set of antlers or something. So I leave that to take both a shot and to take a five-second clip of video um, just to try to give me a better idea of what's going on. And just in case a buck happens to be chasing a doe or something. But after I got done playing with all the other cameras, all the, the trophy cams and things, you know, I, I found it, it didn't really help a whole lot. And I think it uses a lot of battery life. So what I ended up doing is I, I backed off on that. I just basically turned the video off and I used it just on sensor mode. And I, <clears throat> I set it to take just a single picture each time it trips, but I set it to go off you know, every five seconds if, if needed. So I, yeah. I try to keep that gap pretty, pretty low and it triggers very quickly. I don't think I'm really missing any, any deer or anything like that. Um, so I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest issues that people run into is the more you try to do, you know, any kind of video settings or, you know, excessive shots and things like that, unless you're really looking for something particular and you have a reason to, you know, it may be fun to look at those images, but it's going to cost you battery life. And, and that's going to have an effect on how often you have to go in and check either your trail cameras or your cards, or, um, you know, if it's being done wirelessly, it's even going to have an effect on that. And in, in fact, in, from a wireless situation, it's really not helpful because it, 
the wireless cameras will not send the videos. You actually have to go there and manually get those out, um, at least on the ones that I have. Um, so those are that's not helpful at all in that. I just want to send a single image and and that's it. Right. So that I think is one of the the main things. It's you know don't use the video and try to use common sense with um, with the settings. Some other things that I don't think people are are really aware of. You know some of these cameras now you read they're going up to um, you know 14 megapixels. I think I think I saw somewhere one had 20 megapixels or more or something like that. But most of the time, the camera is actually taking an image and it's basically upresing that or, or you know, kind of increasing the size by adding pixels into that to make the full size of that. The problem is every time it does that, it's using energy to, to, up, to upres those pictures um, and it's doing it in the camera. What I do is, you know, I've called all the companies. And I said, okay, what is the actual megapixels of the sensor itself? Because that's the important thing that you need to know. And in general, I think they're about three to five for most of them. I called the trophy cams, and when I spoke to them, they said it was uh, five megapixels is what the, the actual sensor is. So if you're doing anything except the five, you're basically wasting energy doing it, and you're not really getting any data. It's just creating this data for you to give you kind of a false larger image. So oh, okay. in general, what I do is I find out what the baseline is. I set it for that when I get my pictures or whatever, then at that time, only the pictures that I really want to um, get a better look at, I actually can put on Photoshop or something and up res them and get a little bit, you know, it, it kind of will fill in that information, give you a better idea of, of what's going on. Um, but I don't want to waste that energy in the, you know, in the camera for one. I don't want to waste all that um, card space because if you're basically taking 14 megapixel pictures, you're, you're, you know, each one of those images that you're putting on the cards may take up a lot of space. Then when you have to download them, it's a, it takes longer, it takes up a ton of space on the computer. So all these things really aren't helpful. And, and I don't think people, you know, generally know that. And I do a lot of digital photography with, with regular, like, SLRs and things like that. So I'm kind of familiar with, um, with all these type things. And the bottom line is you just want to set the camera for what the resolution is that the camera can take. And or what the pick, what the um, the sensor is, and don't have the camera doing all the other work for you. You're just going to create a lot of extra data that you don't need and waste a lot of battery life. Right, and I noticed that um, on a couple of my trail cameras where, oh, I I'm I'm able to keep my trail cameras out with because I like to like right now I like to take a lot of pictures. Um, and I have some pretty big cards, but if there's like some wind or some, uh, you know, or a, you know, a deer that's in front of the mineral station for a long period of time, then that card gets filled up really fast. And if I can't go to, to check it, it will start to overwrite, um, on the, mm -hmm. on those cards, basically deleting everything and then starting over again. Um, my, so what I've done in, in the past to give myself more time and more space is to, instead of using the highest megapixel option, to drop it down one or two, just like you said, and that mm -hmm. increases the amount of space on the card that I can use by, uh, by like, multiple weeks at least. Mm -hmm. so yeah, and, and what I've I, I like is, that. is if, right, and if you go to the, the, the you know the websites to get information a lot of the sites don't provide that information because their sales pitches we've got a 14 megapixel camera but 
what they're not telling you is that's really not what the what the um, the actual sensor is. I I think, and I might be wrong here. I think Exodus may actually tell you what their sensor size is. A lot of the other companies don't, but they they will tell you if you call their their tech department. And I I suggest I think that's really one of the big things to do. Um, and you had, so you had mentioned size, a large. So sensor size has a lot to do with it. Like as far as quality of images, the if it's a let's say it's a, if it's a five megapixel sensor, and they mm-hmm. they're claiming to be a, uh, a fourteen megapixel camera. Uh, basically what they're telling you is we do extra stuff to the, we, we edit the image to make it 14 megapixels. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So it's really not the, helping the, you out at all. Right. And the, and the important things, just looking back from like, like the DSLR sensors and things is the, um, basically the larger the, the sensor itself, the, the better the image quality that you're going to get. Now that gets like ridiculously expensive. Some of the DSLRs are five or $6,000 and they've got basically the, the same size sensor as a 35 millimeter piece of film. So 35 millimeters, I think, if I remember right, I don't think it's diagonal. I think it's across or something like that. Um, so a little bit, you know, probably twice the size of a postage stamp, but yeah. that's just way too expensive to put in these, in these kind of cameras. The cost would be ridiculous. So most of these cameras, if you actually like, either read about it or you've talked to anybody that builds them or anything. I think the sensors are like the size of like your pinky nail or something. They're, they're pretty small. Um, so the important things are is the bigger the sensor size itself, the better the image quality and the bigger the, the actual, um, the actual pixel cells that make up the, uh, the, the sensor itself that allows them to take, uh, to basically get more, more light. So, a lot of the really good, really fast uh, DSLRs, they've got a full-size sensor inside of them, and their pixel counts aren't, I mean, they're reasonably high. I, one of the ones I have, I think, is 16 megapixels. And the thing is that each each uh, photo cell is larger, and that allows it to capture a lot more light. So what that does is that gives you a lot better resolution and low light, so you're, you're not having to use the, the flash as much, and you're getting better images. So... Those are some trends that may not be available now, but I think they, they will be as, as the technology gets cheaper, is you'll see those sensors getting larger. Hopefully the, the megapixels aren't going to go up, because i got to be honest with you, I don't think we really need that. I think we actually need the, the, the photo sen- cells themselves to be more sensitive to light, and that would give you a lot better image quality. A lot of this stuff with the megapixels right now that they're trying to sell is just a lot of marketing hype. Right, right. So... Now, actually going into the camera, like you said you did, and, and change it to m- the megapixel setting to match the sensor setting, um, megapixels, the s- megapixels on the sensor setting, and then doing all the work on the, you know, on the back end after you take the camera out of the card, uh, mm-hmm. or after you take the card out of the camera, um, what other settings, uh, did you change to maybe prolong battery life if any uh, yeah and and i and i did and that's a good point and and um you know we'll go into that in one second because you had mentioned something i wanted uh to ask you about you mentioned that you use some some larger cards also which i do how, how big are the cards that you use i use let's say some right now are 32 uh, 16 and eight. And then when I get closer to the rut and I'm checking them every day, I'll rotate some four mega or some four, uh, in there as well. Gotcha. 
So, so I and I use um, I still think I have some older ones too. I think all the newer ones that I'm getting now are the the 32s, and I try to get the you know the ex- extreme versions um, and things like that. And and I, the importance of all this stuff, which I didn't I didn't know. I read it on the I think one of the manufacturer sites um, or or one of the trail camera sites, and it was it was really interesting. So when you get um, basically if you set the camera to um, overwrite the pictures, the problem that you run into that is each time the camera goes to take a picture, um, at least what I've read is it scans the card very quickly to see if there's adequate space or if it has to delete a picture before it puts it on there. And that actually uses energy. So what you don't want to do is, you know, the best option would be have a big enough card so you're never going to fill it and then just turn that off, turn the overwrite thing off so it doesn't have to look at that. Um, that's one, one way that you can do it that'll save energy. And, and that's one thing that I've done. The, um, the trophy cams allow you to do that. I'm not sure, you know, if, if other ones necessarily do or not. Um, so that's one thing that can help. The other thing too, is when you get the, the big cards and the fast cards that have the fastest write speeds, it takes a lot less energy, um, to, to write to those cards. And, um, in, a, in addition to that, um, it increases the or it speeds up the cycle time. So basically the trail camera is not going to be waiting to buffer that information over. So if your trail camera says it can shoot another shot in half a second, that's a true half second because it's going so fast to a card that really that becomes not an issue. But if you have a very old card and it's slow, then if it takes three quarters of a second, well, your camera can't do the half second anymore. It's kind of stuck during the three quarters. So it, it does help, I think, to try to buy um, larger cards so you so you can turn off the overwrite and um, also get faster cards. You, you don't have to go the crazy fast ones that are out there now, but fast enough cards that um, one, it's being more energy efficient and getting there. And then two, it's not slowing your, your camera down at all. So I think those are some, some benefits that specifically have to do with the cards that are, that are at least worth knowing. Right. And those are going to be uh, based on class, right? So like uh, looking at the SD card, it's going to be either like a four with a circle around it or a 10 with a circle around it. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So the 10 is a better, uh, a better processing speed for that card. Right. And, and it's okay. probably overkill. You know, the prices have come down so much. I, I think I've been buying the, the extremes with the, the 10 speed also, and they're running like in, somewhere around 20 bucks or maybe 25 bucks or something like that per, per card. Um, you know, it used to be where if you got a 32 megabyte card like that, it would cost you four or 500 bucks. And that was, you know, probably yeah. only eight or 10 years ago. It wasn't really that, that long ago. So the prices have dropped enough now that um, that's way overkill. I mean, those will shoot HD um, video off of a regular video camera very well. Um, but guaranteed, it's not going to be slowing your, your machine down at all. And it's not going to be wasting any extra energy either because it's going to be able to write very quickly and very efficiently to that card without having to, to waste any extra energy. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and probably a lot of, you know, something that a lot of people did not know. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, batteries are important. The the uh, the card that you put in there is important. Um, any other Any other settings? 
Uh, let me let me think. So so basically, the goals that I do for all the cameras is to make them work as little as possible. I just want them to to basically kind of rest and just take pictures and just get it over with really fast. So, like I said, no video. I limit the the size to whatever the uh, the the actual sensor is. I use the good cards and the faster cards. Um, let's see. Uh, one thing I, I have found, which is interesting, I had I had one of my cameras I actually thought was broken, and I was going to send it back. Um, it, it wasn't one of the wireless; it was just one of the regular trophy cameras, and I had it sitting on the edge of the field, and and it literally was taking a picture like every 30 seconds, and it was driving me crazy. And um, I ended up moving it somewhere else to see what change it would make, and I think switching a camera. And the other camera I put out there started doing the same thing, and I didn't see anything, not even squirrels or anything on there, and I think what's happening, and this happens especially probably in the fall and the spring when, when we need our cameras the most, but when it starts warming up in the morning, I think it's actually sensing little like thermal currents coming off the ground. So, you know, the ground in the air is pretty cool. The sun comes up, you start getting those thermals coming up that you can kind of see as, as mirage. I think the cameras can actually sense that because it was going off like crazy and there was no leaves, there was nothing in the way that could do it either. So, so that's one thing that I learned is that if you're, you know, if you're going to put something on the field edge, you, you have to at least be somewhat careful of that. It may, it doesn't seem to affect all the trail edges that I've done, but if you start getting a lot of blanks over and over with quick repetition, that's one thing to, to think about would be either mirage or something that's changing things. Um, you know, that in addition to, of course, leaves and other things that, that might be having an effect. Um, right. Let's see. The other thing, most, I think most of the settings I leave my cameras on are, are, are kind of the a lot of the automatic ones so um you know and they're different by all the the different types of cameras but there's something called a, a night vision shutter on the trophy cams i'm using and i leave that on on low and what that does is it the pictures might be a little bit blurrier but it gives me um it lets me see a lot farther and gives me uh i guess a lot more detail so i i set it up uh that way so i get it basically just slows the the shutter speed down would be the equivalent in a, in a regular camera. And um, like I mentioned, I only do a single capture with a delay of five seconds. Typically, I leave the motion sensitivity to, to auto. Um, in a case like I was talking about, if I was getting a lot of false uh, triggers and things on a field edge, it might be worth trying a lower one. Uh, I'm, I'm always a little bit reluctant to do that because you never know when a buck may pass by and it might be just on the edge of range and then you're not going to get it because you've kind of tuned everything down. Usually I set the the LED flash on all my cameras on high, and like I said, I've I've got them on high so I get the greatest distance, and it it hasn't caused any big effect of battery life. You know, if I can go out and change my camera batteries once a year, I'm completely happy with that. I have no problem with doing that at all. Um, I turned the field scan off. That was the other the other thing that I was mentioning to you earlier that is similar to the plot watchers, and like I mentioned, if you really want to uh, take a look at a field. The plot watcher is probably the best option that I know of right now to, to do that. Um, just simply because you can turn it on almost in a video fashion and watch everything that happens through the, the course of a day. Whereas with the other cameras, if you turn that on, you've got to look at each picture individually. And I really find the plot watcher type cameras to be really good over, just like they're called, basically a plot watcher, or if I'm trying to look at a large area, because you can set them to go off over, um, you know, however you set them, I think mine go off every either 30 seconds or a minute. I've tried both of those. 
And the benefit is you will, you'll catch your whole field. So it's not with your typical trail cameras, anything outside of about 100 feet or something, you're not going to detect at all. And yeah. this lets you detect what's going on in a whole field. So you can see our deer coming out of a particular trail. Like if you're trying to monitor a field edge that might be several hundred yards long or something, if you elevate it enough and kind of face it down that field edge, you can actually get a sense for where those deer are coming out. Are they, are they coming out? at the first trail at 50 yards or the second trail at 100 yards or the third trail at 200 yards. And you can start predicting patterns by that. So I use those right. often on the fields to get a sense for where they're moving. And then I'll go in and I'll put a trail camera on that particular trail, which will tell me more information and give me a lot more detail. Um, you know, at, at far range, you're just not really going to be able to pick out very much in the way of, you know, animal quality or, or sometimes you can't even really tell if it's a buck or a doe if it's, if it's very far away. So right. I, I think that works well with that. Um, and that's, I guess that's basically the, the most important settings that I can think of. Um, I leave the timestamps on and things like that. That's not really going to have any effect, I don't think, or nothing uh, that significant. And any other settings are more specific for the, for the wireless cameras that I'm using. Um, you know, what for about, instance, I, I've, go ahead. What about um, like uh, the, uh, I think there's a low, some of these cameras have low, normal, and high sensitivity uh, settings. Mm -hmm. um, did you play around with any of those settings at all? I Most of mine I just leave it at auto for the sensitivity, and it's done a, a good job, except like I mentioned, I was getting a lot of you know false triggers on the field edge, and I probably could right. have lowered the sensitivity on that. But otherwise, I leave it on auto because that my understanding of how that works is that it adjusts itself for the temperature. And part of the issues is, you know, in the winter time, you're going to be able to pick up the difference in temperature between the air, you know, let's say it's 20 degrees out and, you know, a whitetail, which is probably, I'm going to guess somewhere around 90 or hundred degrees out, probably similar to, to a person, but in yeah. the summertime, you're not going to have that difference. So I leave it on auto. So as the weather changes on a daily basis and throughout the season, I don't have to get in there and fool around with it. I kind of, you know, like I mentioned, most of my wireless cameras, I set out there in places that I, I really don't want to go to unless I have to. Right. Okay. All right. What's next? So, you know, I, I think one interesting thing, probably people have a lot of, I guess, questions and they're not sure how the whole wireless camera fits in. I, I didn't either, to be honest with you. Um, the first one I bought, I, I used it and kind of fell in love with it almost right away. It's pretty addictive getting texts from your, from the field almost every day, to be honest with you, whether you're at home or right. work or whatever. Um, and it really was, was pretty awesome. And, um, you know, I, I've got mine set. So it, you know, you can either have them batch set or you can have it set um, to, to send each individual picture and I have them sent individually. And, you know, the, the real, the things that have really kind of changed the way that I use these things are, um, as I already mentioned, I can get in there and I can set these cameras uh, on any game. I can go basically into a bedding area if I want to, right in the middle of a bedding area at the, you know, like, let's just say in, in February or March or something like that, and put it in there and leave it for the entire year. And yeah. I will know what's going on in the middle of that, that bedding area, which is fantastic. There's There's been a little talk, you know, in some discussion about, you know, okay, well, how fair is this and what effects is it having, you know, are you going to be sitting in your office and all of a sudden you get a text that says, 
hey, that, that deer you've been waiting for is right, you know, right down the block and you just jump out and, and try to go shoot it. I, I don't really know if it's that predictable because, you know, the, these deer are going to move around and you will definitely get a sense, um, you know, on a very timely basis, is that deer moving around on that piece of property at that particular time when you get the text. But I mean, they're not going to be there and they're probably not even going to be close to there by the time you get your stuff and get down there. So, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's really useful from that perspective. So I don't really feel people are going to use it in a sense, I guess, to have an, an unfair advantage to the animals. Um, I also think, you know, even if you were hunting in one tree stand and one, and you basically got sent a picture from another tree stand a hundred yards away, you know, yeah, maybe you would get down and you would go uh, move over to that stand. But again, I think in a real time situation, I don't know how effective it's going to be. What, what I use it more for is, like I said, I put it in places where I want to get a sense of deer movement and see what kind of quality your deer around. Um, and I just don't want to get back in there and, and do anything with it. Um, you know, what I, what I often do is when I get up in the morning, I'll flip through real quick and I'll see what happens during the course of the night. And, you know, it, it may make me go to one side of the farm as opposed to the other side of the farm because I saw more movement in one area or another. Or maybe if I found a particular deer, I would use it that way. Um, but but again, it's it's not going to be it's not like a canned hunt where you're going to see the camera go off and you're going to go sit in that stand. And you're going to shoot the deer. It just it just doesn't work right. that way. Um, you know, it just it gives you a better sense of when the deer are moving, when you should be in the woods and when you shouldn't be in the woods, because, you know, there's. You've you've talked about on on uh, your podcast. I know you know Mark Kenyon's talked about it too. That um, the best thing to do is you know not overhunt your stands. You really want to hunt there when you know the conditions are right, the wind's right, the deer are moving, and this is it. It's kind of helping with that situation. That's how I use it. I'm not using it to jump out of my bed and go to a particular spot like like that fast. It's more you know okay, the weather's not great this weekend. Are the deer going to be moving or not? If I see the activity, I may go out there and spend some time. But if I'm not seeing the activity and the weather's not that great, maybe I'll stay out of w the woods this time or go to a different area that I've wanted to kind of experiment with and didn't want to really, you know, affect the main part of my woods that I'm, I'm trying to kind of keep the pressure off of as much as possible. Right. Now, one thing that, like, for me, I would love to run uh, trail cameras, uh, cellular tra trail cameras on uh, some of my farms, but I, literally in some of the low spots, because I got some big mm -hmm. ridges, uh, I'm in some bottoms, uh, I don't get the cell service that I need. I mean, my phone barely works in some of these spots, right. uh, some of these locations. Um, have you experimented with any type of, and, and I don't even know if they make these, any type of boosters? or you know cellular boosters that uh, can help with you know getting a stronger signal to that c camera i i haven't and you know I, I know what you're talking about but i get really good cell phone reception uh you know where where i am where, where my farm is so i haven't played with them i i have heard they work um you know i imagine probably getting a the camera up farther so you know even if you had to go 15 or 20 feet up in the air and aim it down that, that might increase some of the reception a little bit. But um, in general, you're right. That's probably one of the biggest limiting factors for people is I want to say you need at least three bars um, of the, uh, the basically the 3G service to, to be able to get any kind of re reliable signals.
I, you know, my understanding is they're putting up a lot more towers around the country and it, the coverage is probably going to increase pretty quickly, but, but right now that's probably going to be a lot of the limiting factor for, for a lot of people. Have you figured out any type or have you seen or witnessed any type of inconsistencies in that cellular service on your cameras? No, not, none at all. I can tell you right now, those, those cameras, they probably are at least as consistent, if not more consistent than my other cameras. I mean, I'm getting fantastic images and, and, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not getting what to me seems to be blanks. In fact, some of the images I got, I've got one sitting over <clears throat> a creek crossing and I've got pictures of, you know, a, a hawk coming down and grabbing a, either a frog or a fish. I couldn't tell out of the creek, a picture of an owl landing on a bush next by. So, you know, I'm, I'm picking up all kinds of little things. I get a bunch of um, raccoons all the time, which drive me crazy. They, uh, they set my cameras <laughs> up a little bit too much, but, uh, but they seem to be really picking up a lot of things. They're very sensitive. They send the information back right away. Um, the images come to me. In fact, I usually test my images that way. And, and what I do is I set the cameras up and then I go ahead and walk in front of them. And it takes anywhere from maybe 15 seconds to a minute for that, for that image to get to my phone. Um, so it's, it's pretty quick where we are, but I, w- I want to say I've got LTE service. I think, um, where all my cameras are located right now, but, um, but it, it is very quick and that's how I basically test them myself. Okay. Now, have you personally got a picture and then decided, okay, well, I better get out into the timber? I, I never have. Um, you know, when, that, when, when I often get an interesting picture like that, to be honest with you, I'm at work. So, so it makes, it makes type, things a little bit different from that. And, and a lot of times what I do is I just leave it in my pocket. It's, it beeps a little bit every time I get a picture. And at some point, I'll sit down and I'll, I look at it. But um, I, I don't in general just kind of, you know, kind of rummage through them. I have at times been up in a tree stand and it's gone off and I've kind of looked to see what was going on, but I mean, nothing's made me change my plans because even if I see a decent deer, my, my property's small enough where the deer are going to kind of move through the area. And if it's on one side of the farm, there's a good chance it's going to move across to the other side unless it's moving completely through. And, um, you know, I think by my getting down and trying to even make a move like that would probably not make a lot of sense. So. Yeah. All right. So what else about, uh, these cameras that, uh, are a notable point? So some pretty awesome things about the, the wireless cameras is, um, you can, you can check them and you can set and change the settings right from your cell phone. So, you know, you've mentioned, Mark's mentioned, um, I know I've had it happen to me. You, you set a camera, you're all excited. You go back and like, it wasn't set right. You forgot to flip the switch or you you still had it on setting mode instead of to the the picture taking mode. The nice thing about this is, is, you know, I can check it at any time. And if I decide I want to change the resolution or change the, the night vision or the sensitivity or the flash range, I can do all that stuff directly from my phone. Um, and that is a, that is a real boost. Now, the other part that's, that's pretty killer. I think you're going to like this is it's set with GPS. So if somebody were to steal the camera, essentially, unless they disable it and, and I don't know how they would go about doing that. I'm sure there, there might be a way if they were savvy enough, as soon as they turn that camera on, I can track that camera and it will tell me exactly where it is. So I can pull up either on Bushnell's website or on my phone 
um, all the locations of my cameras, and, and I mean, they're exactly where I put them. And if one moves, I know where it moves to, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to track it down. So, you know, it, it's really nice from that perspective. I, I hope I never have to look at it that way. But um, I, every now and then I do look and make sure nothing's kind of moved around, especially if I haven't heard back from, from a camera in a bit. Yeah. Um, the other nice, the other nice thing is the cameras will text you if they're running out, running low on batteries. It'll basically tell you. So it gets rid of a lot of that too. You know, I can look at the stats. Like right now, I can pull it up on my phone. It'll tell me what the battery life is. You know, am I getting uh, close to being out of uh, card space or anything like that? It tells me the location, tells me the settings. I mean, any information I really want from the camera, I can I can look up right now. So they're they're really getting uh, very nice from that perspective and very user friendly. Cool cool um any anything that guys anything else that people should really pay attention to as far as like do's and don'ts of trail cameras uh, that you found or um like quick tips or or hints or i Mm -hmm. I guess like a cheat sheet so to speak sure yeah i I can i'll tell you a few things i have there and I, i know some other people probably said similar things um the one other thing in case people are, are wondering about the, the wireless cameras too, um, you do have to consider the, the plan cost because you have to get the, the plan to go along with that. Um, the one nice thing about the Bushnell cameras is you buy the camera. I think they give you 30 days for free and then you sign up. The, the cost isn't that bad, although it can add up if you had a lot of cameras. It's, it's I think, $9.99 a month. Um, you can turn that off at any time that you want and turn it back off or turn it back on when you want. I, I think it, uh, to keep the phone number and everything set up, I think there's a, a base fee, which might be $3 a month or something. And that I'm, I'm not as sure of. Um, but, but that is one other thing to, to kind of consider. Um, but then, like I mentioned, there's an app for, you know, the phones or the iPads or whatever that you may be using. And then there's a website that, that you can go to, too. Um, the prices have fallen pretty significantly. So when I look at at Amazon, I think the first phone I bought was maybe 350 and the last couple of phones or the last couple of cameras I bought were uh, about 249 and I've seen them down to even 180 bucks. Uh, they go pretty quickly at that range, but um, just something for people to keep in mind. I mean, the price, you know, the list prices certainly are not exactly what you can get them for. You can get them for, for much cheaper with that. So and I think that's probably it regarding the, the wireless uh, cams, unless you had any, any other questions. Um, as far as the, the placement, you know, I've, I have played with a lot of different um, uh, settings to see, you know, is it better to try to get them, you know, flat broadside or coming on or coming, you know, off at like a quartering shot um, and then different heights. And without a doubt, I've had a lot of, uh, you know, missed pictures, I think, with, with trying to get like a 90 degree broadside. So I try to get them, I, I, and I think you get the best capture and probably the best sensitivity if you get a quartering on shot or quartering off. So I try to get just off the trail and I try to get it, you know, probably roughly 30 to 45 degree angle is what I find the, the best. It kind of gives the animal a chance to get into the frame, set the picture off and still be within that frame. So it's not running across and you can often get, you know, pictures of a second animal behind it. If, if uh, you know, when that goes off. Um, so I think that's one important thing I've experimented with putting some cameras, you know, kind of at ground level to see what you get versus up. Um, you know, deer are pretty smart to their surroundings. It would probably be like if somebody came in and, and put a small TV in my living room. I mean, I would probably notice it right away. And I've had 
deer literally come up and put their nose like right on the camera if they're right. you know anywhere within four feet off off the ground. So they they will see that stuff. And I've kind of started getting to the point where I put them up. You know, I try to get them maybe at least eight feet off the ground. Um, I've got one ten feet off the ground or twelve feet right now, and um, it's it's not bad. It does make it a little harder to look at some of the images. Um, so you you kind of have to look at that. But my thought is probably the best spot would be anywhere maybe from six to eight feet off the ground. Uh, if, if you were really worried about people taking the cameras, the higher you get, probably the less visible it's going to be um, to, to anybody else that would be coming around also. Um, the other things that I think are really important that I, I know I've had some, some issues with is you, you got to pay attention to what direction the sun's coming uh, from and which way it's setting. Right. Because if you, if you set it in that direction, you're going to be basically getting some blind shots in the morning or the afternoon and the sun's going to come in and just basically wipe everything out. So I try to face mine either nor more northish or more, more southish to try to avoid that. And that's worked out pretty well. And I also try to at least protect them somewhat from, uh, from the weather. So, you know, if I could put it on the side of a bigger tree and maybe if the tree's leaning a little bit where it'll give a little protection from the rain, I try to, to do that just to keep a little bit of the elements off of it. And I try to, um, also not put it in directly up against the tree bark. I yeah. used to do that thinking it would stabilize the camera, but you know, if I actually got out there once, I think I was looking at my cameras in the rain and you could just see like, a, you know, almost torrents of rain and, and water just running right down that trunk and it was running right over my camera. So now I actually try to back it off from the, the tree trunk, maybe, you know, half an inch or something like that. And, and that at least keeps some of the extra water off of it. It works out pretty well. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I tell you one thing that I've learned over the years is never have a uh, perpendicular set up. Like don't, if the trail's running right in front of the camera, you're going to either, no matter how fast the trigger speed is, you're going to miss some, if it's the rut and a doe walks by first, good chance there's something chasing it. Right. And you're going to miss it. Right. So I always like to have uh, those set up at an angle on the trail, uh, whether that's in a pinch point or a travel corridor to something that is coming and going, um, to try, you know, to try to catch as much movement as possible. Now, the thing I really like about the Exodus trail cameras, and I, you know, I'm sure other cameras have this, uh, option, but you can, uh, you can add more pictures. So like, mm -hmm. stand, like a typical, typically you'll get a three, uh, three picture burst. And then on some of these cameras, you can get a one minute. Um, so then you have to wait a minute. You can't go lower than that. Um, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there's other cameras out now, but Exodus allows me to, uh, the cameras that I'm using currently allows me to go underneath of a minute, uh, like to 30 mm -hmm. seconds, um, or take like seven or eight pictures in a row right. to hopefully catch like that, that ex perfect example. Right. And that's just to make sure I'm catching all the deer and not just the first one that walks by the camera. Right. So yeah, and, that's and, something that and, I played and, around and I, with. And I think I've experimented with that on, on one of, one of my older cameras that it didn't work very well with that. The newer cameras would probably work out really well. Um, I had an older scout guard camera. Um, I think when they first came out and every time I tried to do that, for some reason, it, it just was throwing it into fits. It, it wouldn't give me pictures and, and, um, you know, I, I was shooting a little bit of video with that too at the time and I wasn't getting video and it just really messed it up. So I, I think I haven't tried it with any of the cameras since then. And it probably would be worthwhile for me to 
check back into that because I think it would work a lot better, I think, with some of the newer cameras. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, I, I think the I think the other thing I was going to mention is, you know, I generally leave my cameras out pretty much year round, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. And the one thing that I do is, you know, come springtime, I do try to bring them in and kind of clean them off, make sure the lenses are clean. Uh, this year, what I did is I, I actually, you know, and I think this was pretty reasonable. If if not, maybe one of the manufacturers or something will, will call me or text me back or something. But, you know, I, I put the, the oven up to like 100 degrees. So it's not, you know, not, it's probably about equal to a really hot day outside. <laughs> and I just, I put them in there for like a few hours just to kind of dry everything out, make sure there was no moisture in anything. And, um, um, you know, I did that. And then I went ahead and I put a little bit of, uh, the silicone grease on the seals again to make sure the seals were all in good shape because I think that's a big problem when those get old and and they start kind of dry rotting and things you're going to start getting some water inside the cameras um, so I took care of all that uh, cleaned all the contacts and that's when I put the new batteries in and then get them back out again um, so I think that's probably some some pretty good insurance to to take care of things that way uh, just to keep everything running well and to make sure there's no water getting inside the cameras um, I did have one camera that was eaten into by a squirrel this year, and oh, really? uh, I opened I, I, it actually ate right through the frame. And and when I opened the camera up, some some water actually drained out from the inside, which uh, I was very surprised at. But it it's still working well. I just went ahead and used a little Marine Tex on the outside and sealed that back up. And um, it happened to be one of the ones that was sitting like very close, right next to the trunk of a big tree. And I think there must have been a squirrel nest in it. Because uh, every now and then I would I would get these pictures of a tail kind of flipping across in front of the the, the camera, um, so I think I I must have been in his space. He he didn't appreciate it very much, so I moved it to a different tree this time. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, what else you yeah. got to tell yeah, us I, before it's time to? Uh, my kids are starting to get loud, so I I need to gotcha. go shut them up. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, I, I think the only other thing, you know, maybe worth uh, just mentioning real quickly is just the, the different types of camera mounts. Um, there's a lot of different mounts. Some come with a camera, some don't. Um, most of the ones I've used were, I think, the Slate River uh, mounts, which work pretty well. They There's a – basically, they screw into the tree. There's a little arm that comes out, and there's a uh, – um, it's basically like a like a round a round piece that fits into a cup and you tighten it down so in other words it allows you to look to move it around in almost any direction and then when you tighten it up it kind of stays in that direction that that works very well i i did have one of the plastic uh pieces like the wing nut that tightens that um the adjustment piece actually stripped out on mine and i had to had to get a new one and yeah. when I was looking for that, I actually found a new one this year, which is so far, it's my favorite. It's, it's something called a Ram mount. Um, and I'm looking at it right now on Amazon, it's a Ram mount trail camera mount, uh, and it's called the tough trap. So they actually make mounts for, I think phones and all kinds of other electronics and equipment that you can put in like either on boats or cars or bikes or things like that. Um, this is actually almost hidden on their site. You kind of have to look for it. Um, but if you look it up on Amazon, like I said, uh, Ram mount, trail camera mount, um, it'll pop up. And, and it's actually really nice. It's very heavy duty. And basically what it looks like is it's, it's almost like there's a, a clamshell piece in the middle that's held together by a heavy duty washer and a screw. And on each end, there's those round balls basically that fit into the, the cups, like I mentioned. One yeah. of those has a uh, basically a screw that goes into the tree. 
The other one screws into the, you know, the, the basically the socket on the back of the, the trail cameras. And when you lock it up, it locks up very tight. The other nice thing about it is it's, it's really small. So if you wanted to get that camera, you know, right up next to the tree or right in front of the tree, it'll do it. Uh, or you could, you could go off to, to the side of the tree. It really gives you a lot of options. A lot of the other mounts that I've had, they wouldn't work in front of the tree very well because of the way that they were, they were built. You kind of had to go off to the side and then uh, try to wrap it a little bit around the tree. And what I found is that was a lot more noticeable to the deer than if you actually put it like mounted right to the front of the tree. So right. this, this year, I mean, this is a really nice mount. I've been kind of playing with a lot. I'm probably going to get more of these, I think, as, as my other ones break down. But for anybody looking for mounts, I, I think this is a really good one. The Slate Rivers, like I said, I, I think work very well, too. Um, I haven't played around with many of the other ones, but there's there's a fair amount of them on the market. You just kind of have to look in at the different types and uh, you know see what benefits they may or may not offer. Yeah, and then the, one of the other brands that I really like uh, or I have used in the past is Stick and Pick, and one particular mount I've used of theirs uh, has been I think they call it the the Mini, the Stick and Pick Mini, which is basically a screw in. Uh, trail camera mount that fits in the palm of your hands and one of the reasons uh, one of the ways i like to use it is if i'm let's say like i'm on a run and gun setup i come across some sign whether it's a scrape or a rub and i end up um screwing it in hanging a a tree stand or a a trail camera and then i just let it sit there the rest of the year i'll go back and find it uh after the season's over to see you know what was actually hitting it uh hitting that particular scrape uh or any of Mm -hmm. that sign or a pinch point or a fence crossing or whatever um so that's that's one particular uh product you know mounting product that i've used and uh kind of like because it's so small gotcha i'm I'm actually kind of getting on their side i was going to take a peek right now myself i I don't know. I, I remember you talking about those. I don't know if I've ever actually uh, looked at them myself, but I do tend to like the really small ones like that. And that sounds like it would be, you know, very good for doing something uh, um, as far as kind of as hidden as can be. Right. Well, I tell you what, it's getting to that time again. Thank you very much for taking time to uh, do all this research, come on the show, uh, talk with us a little bit. I uh, Again, I really appreciate it. And to all the listeners, uh, Mike, Dr. Mike has also done an, another report, uh, kind of write-up about everything we've talked about today. So look for uh, not only the, the follow-up on the arrows, but the trail camera, uh, an article about trail cameras as well. And that's going to be on the Nine Finger Chronicles blog, uh, ninefingerchronicles.com. So look for that. And uh, again, Dr. Mike, thanks for coming on. Sounds great, Dan. I, I appreciate it. And and like you mentioned, um, the, the Arrow Building Report has a lot of new stuff in it, uh, especially a lot of stuff about energy and kinetic um kinetic energy momentum and penetration and things that you know i really think your your viewers would be interested in because i think we're we're all in here to try to do the best job we can with our equipment and i think there's a lot of confusing information out there regarding how to rate these things and how this all comes together and i really spent a lot of time trying to put that together and make it as clear as possible and um i guess just a little segue into that is i really think momentum's the way to go i think that's probably the most important thing when it comes to to arrows and uh for anybody interested in that, there's a lot of information, and uh, I hope it helps. And 
um, if anybody has any feedback, I would certainly appreciate it myself. So uh, always great talking to you, Dan. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Dr. Mike for coming on the podcast and uh, talking trail cams with us today. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for downloading and listening. Huge shout out to the partners of our podcast, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Ozonic Scent Control, Gearhead Archery, Wasp Archery, Ozonics I just mentioned, Exodus Trail Cameras, Ripcord Arrow Rest, and Deer Lab. Thank you guys very much for your support, and please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. It would mean a lot to me, and keep an eye out for those discounts and giveaways that we always offer on this uh, podcast. So if you don't know what they are, go back and listen to past episodes, and uh, you'll be able to find out that, uh, you know, for example, companies like Ozonics, Lone Wolf, Wasp, and Exodus all are currently offering discounts. Find out what how to get those discounts. And uh, yeah, uh, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Be sure to keep it tuning in to the Friday happy hour. Uh, I'm not sure when exactly they're all going to be, but I tell you what, they're fun. It's awesome to uh, connect directly with you guys. It's live on Facebook, and um, it's just an awesome opportunity for... Uh, all of us to get together bullshit for a little bit uh, so keep an eye out for happy hour and I usually make an announcement on Wednesday of when it's going to be either Thursday or Friday uh, other than that guys it's time to hang stands if you're going to be out there please wear your damn safety harness and have a good week